Can fruit juice make you fat? And my answer to that is... What is up my sunlight samurais? So in this video, I'm going to talk to you about fruit, fructose, diabetes, and obesity. Is there a difference between the whole fruit versus something a little bit more processed like fruit juice? And do you get a higher risk of diabetes and obesity when you consume fruit juice, specifically because of the fructose? Because we know a lot of these experts on the internet advocate say that fructose is bad for you and they cite good evidence. So let's discuss what's going on. I want to show you evidence contrary to what they show you. I want to show you the real thing. And then we're going to, we're going to go through the mechanisms as to, and I can show you how fructose isn't the problem. And then I'm going to discuss what is really the problem? What is causing diabetes and obesity? Let's dive in. Number one, fruit juice. If you didn't know this already, let me tell you that fruit juice can be dangerous to consume. I know this might sound like a shocker. Shocker, right? Crazy. Fruit juice is dangerous. And the reason he goes on to say why is because you're consuming a large amount in one setting. It's much easier to consume five oranges in the form of a cup of fruit juice then versus eating five oranges. And that is a problem according to him. And I'll discuss exactly that when I talk about the mechanisms as to why fructose is not a problem. Next up, we have Robert Lustig. As you can see here, he posted, one serving of 100% fruit juice during a school breakfast contains a little over 14 grams of sugar derived from natural fruits. Experts say that those sugars are as bad, if not worse, than the sugar in soda. But can you believe that if I wanted to improve my health and I was only drinking fruit juice, it would be better for me to switch to sodas because fruit juice can be worse than sodas. Like, are you kidding me? Like those sugars in fruit juice can be worse than the sugar in sodas. Fruit juice is worse than sodas. I don't understand how they can make that uh, distinction because in sodas, you have sucrose, 50-50 fructose glucose. In fruit, you have more or less the same with other beneficial plant compounds that can improve insulin sensitivity and lower inflammation, those kind of good stuff. How can they ever say that the same kind of sugar in fruit juice is worse than the sugar in soda? This is crazy. This is lies. So let me show you meta-analysis from 2015 all the way to 2021, showing that fruit juice specifically don't increase the risk of diabetes or obesity. But first, let me show you fructose and the liver. This is why people think fructose is so bad. You can see, notably, Fructose is recognized as a major mediator of NAFLD, which is non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, as a significant contribution, uh, correlation between fructose intake and the degree of inflammation and fibrosis has been found in preclinical and clinical studies. Moreover, fructose is a risk factor for liver cancer development. Interestingly, fructose induces a number of pro-inflammatory pro fibrogenic and oncogenic signaling pathways that explain its deleterious effect on the body, especially on the liver. So basically what they're saying is that fructose consumption causes liver cancer, fatty liver, uh, inflammation in general, and fibrosis, right? If I didn't know any better, I would say that is crazy and everyone should be avoiding fructose. But there are many other studies showing the benefits of fruit and fruit juice. And let me dive into that because you can't just look at a study and say like, I'm going to isolate fructose and I'm going to give it to animals in large amounts and see what happens. And perhaps it causes a fibrosis. But if you look what happens in humans in a normal situation where people is drinking juice or eating fruit, you never see that happen. Let's dive into the studies. 
So first, here's one from 2014 meta-analysis showing that a higher intake of sugar-sweetened fruit juice was significantly associated with the risk of type 2 diabetes, while intake of 100% fruit juice was not, not associated with the risk of developing type 2 diabetes. So some studies do find a positive correlation between sugar-sweetened and not with pure 100% fruit juice. So if you make it in yourself, you know, you have your own juicer, you make it yourself or you buy from the store, it's 100% fruit juice. It doesn't seem to be associated with increasing a risk for developing type 2 diabetes or obesity. Whereas some people say there, there is a correlation between sugar sweetened, but I'll discuss later in this video, that is not the case if you control for calories. Next study we have, this is a 2000 and... 15 study showing that habitual consumption of sugar-sweetened beverages was associated with a greater incidence of type 2 diabetes independently of adiposity. Although artificially sweetened beverages and fruit juice was also positively associated with incidence of type 2 diabetes, the findings were likely to involve bias, 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 bias. So as you can see, a lot of studies that find that there is a positive association between fruit juice and diabetes, there is bias is involved because there's a lot of studies showing that fruit juice, it doesn't cause diabetes and it's actually, it can improve diabetes and insulin sensitivity. Here is one from 2017. Although there was no association of total sugars or fructose with type 2 diabetes, sugar or sucrose was associated with a decreased risk of type 2 diabetes. And this is because fructose actually enhances the uptake of glucose into a cell. It has an insulin mimetic effect, and it also enhances the oxidation of glucose. Both of those effects are hampered in people with diabetes, so fructose can actually be helpful. Next, we have a meta-analysis here from 2020, showing that compared with no consumption of pure fruit juice consumption, was not significantly associated with type 2 diabetes. And then also the association did not differ between participants with low and high fruit consumption. None of the categories of fruit consumption were associated with type 2 diabetes. Then we have another one from 2021, fruit juice, are they harmful or helpful? The findings reveal that fruit juice consumption at a moderate intake consistent with the dietary guidelines of the US and some European countries, which is 75 to 225 milliliters daily, which is basically a cup, did not increase the risk of obesity, type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease, or poor glycemic control. In contrast, regular consumption of fruit juice, even up to 500 milliliters per day, which is two cups, in short to medium-term studies, appears to confer a health benefit in terms of vascular function and reduced blood pressure. So fruit juice, even up to two cups, doesn't result in a reduction in insulin sensitivity, and it has anti-inflammatory and beneficial effects on the vasculature, all of which are good effects. So the thing is, not a lot of studies actually look at higher consumption of fruit juice. They don't give people like a liter to drink on a daily basis and see what happens. So they only control for like, you know, moderate intake, which is two cups on a daily basis, which is not associated with the detriment. And I can guarantee you that consuming up to a liter of juice or more on a daily basis will not be detrimental if it comes from fruit juice. With that being said, let's dive into the mechanisms as to why people think that it causes obesity and type 2 diabetes. So first of all, when, what happens when you drink fruit juice? First of all, you swallow it, go down the hatch, goes into the stomach, into the small intestine. Once it's in the small intestine, the body can start absorbing that, you know, that sugars. So fructose is absorbed through the GLUT5 transporter in the intestine, so that it can actually be transported into the liver. But there are enzymes in the intestine after it's been absorbed by GLUT5, there are enzymes called gluconeogenesis that converts the fructose into glucose. So a large percentage of in absorbed fructose 
is being converted into glucose before it actually reaches the liver. So a lot of people's like, well, if you consume fructose, it's going to overwhelm the liver, it's going to deplete your ATP, it's going to create fat, fatty liver, all this kind of stuff. But the thing is actually not a lot of fructose reaches the liver, even if you consume very large amounts. Let me show you. So this is the first study that I want to show you is that fructose induces increasing expression of intestinal fructolysis and glucogenic in gluconeogenic genes as regulated by GLUT5 and KHK. So one third of injected fructose is metabolized in the small intestine, but the underlying mechanism regulating expression of fructose metabolizing enzymes are not known. So the feed forward regulation of fructolysis and gluconeogenic enzymes specifically require GLUT5 and KHK, which is ketohexokinase, and may proactively enhance the intestine's ability to process anticipated increase in dietary fructose consumption. So at baseline, you basically convert about a third of ingested fructose into glucose and other metabolites. But the more you consume fructose, the more these enzymes become upregulated. So more and more fructose are being converted into glucose and other metabolites, meaning the more fructose you consume, the less fructose is actually reaching the liver because your body adapts to you consuming the fructose. This is the next study I want to talk to you about. This study shows low dose of fructose are 90% cleared by the intestine with only trace fructose, but extensive fructose-derived glucose, lactose, and glycerate found in the portal blood. Portal blood means that's the blood that's going into the liver. High doses of fructose, which is more equal to or more than one gram per kg, overwhelm intestinal fructose absorption and clearance, resulting in fructose reaching both the liver and colonic microbiota. Intestinal fructose clearance is augmented both by prior exposure to fructose and by feeding. So basically what they're showing that the more fructose you eat, the more your body upregulate this clearance effect that converts fructose into glucose. So this study shows that 90% of fructose is converted into glucose, lactate and glycerate and other metabolites that can be used by the TCA cycle, the Krebs cycle, which produces energy. And if you consume a very large bolus of fructose, which is equal to one or more grams per kg per person, that's when you overwhelm that ability to convert it. And that's when more fructose starts to reach the liver. So let's say you consume 100 grams of fructose. 90% is going to so 90 grams are being converted into glucose and other metabolites. And only 10 grams are not metabolized. And of that 10 grams, some of it is not being absorbed. It's going to the microbiota, down into the colon. And a few of that is then going to the liver. So we have a little bit of uh, fructose going to the liver. Let's say five grams are going to the liver and five grams are going into the colon. So the point is, if you consume 100 grams of fructose, right, guys, 100 grams, 90 grams are processed to glucose. That's not going to reach the liver as fructose. Five grams, for example, it's going to reach the colon and five grams of fructose is going to reach the liver. Five grams from 100 grams. So imagine if you only drink a cup or two, right? Let's say uh, two cups contain about 60 grams of carbohydrates. So 30 grams is fructose. So 90% of 30 grams is 27. So you end up with three grams of fructose that is not being metabolized to glucose. So only three grams is going to go to the liver, right? Does that sound to a significant amount to you? It doesn't to me. All right, let's look to the next mechanism. What happens to that fructose when it actually reaches the liver? But before we talk about that, I want to share you here that fructose actually has a beneficial effect on the gut. So dietary fructose improves intestinal cell survival and nutrient absorption. Here we show that dietary fructose improves the survival of intestinal cells and increases intestinal villus length in several mouse models. 
the reason why this is important, if you have any kind of gut inflammation, that basically causes, it damages the intestinal cells and decreases the survival of intestinal cells, and it reduces the length and size of intestinal villus. So the villus is what's responsible for nutrient absorption, things like magnesium, selenium, iron, calcium, you know, those kind of stuff, the, the vitamins, the minerals. So the shorter your villus are, the less nutrients you will be able to absorb. That's why people with celiac disease, if they eat gluten, it causes inflammation in the intestine and it reduces the length and size of their villus. And these people are much more prone to having nutrient deficiencies because even if you eat them, you're not absorbing them. So you're not benefiting from the nutrients that you're eating. So fructose in this case can actually promote the survival of intestinal cells and increase intestinal villus length, which improve nutrient absorption. So it's much easier to actually meet your nutrient requirements. You get enough magnesium, you get enough zinc, enough vitamin D, all of this stuff, you're absorbing it and you can benefit from it. So this is extremely important for people that have intestinal inflammation, that suffer from IBS or IBD, they can benefit from fruit. Get that fructose, it's going to improve your intestinal health. All right, so I wrote an article that I'm going to link for you guys in the description, the ultimate guide on the nova lipogenesis. The nova lipogenesis is the process where glucose or fructose is being converted into fat. So people say like fructose is the most potent stimulator of the nova lipogenesis. That means that fructose increases the production of fat much more so than glucose. But let's look at the studies. So the nova lipogenesis, which is DNL, from fructose contributes to less than 1% of circulating fatty acids. There is no difference between liver fat or triglycerides in glucose or fructose overfeeding, meaning the nova lipogenesis is stimulated equally in both. The reason why this is important, the reason why this overfeeding study is important is because when you overfeed, you have too much calories, the nova lipogenesis become upregulated more so. So compared to when you are in a maintenance or in a deficit. So once you overfeed, that's when you really will see the harm, so to speak, of fructose because it's really going to upregulate the nova lipogenesis and you're going to end up with a lot more fat in the liver. And this is not what they show here, that if you overfeed on glucose or fructose, this isn't even sacrose, this is fructose, the pure poison, they don't see an increase in fat production from overfeeding fructose. Next, you see less than 10% of a bolus of 250 grams of fructose was converted to fats after six hours, which means that less than one gram of fat is created per hour from a massive unnatural amount of fructose. So there we have it, guys. They overfed people 250 grams of fructose. I just made the example that if I was consuming, so I made the example that if I was consuming 100 grams of fructose, basically five grams to seven grams, 10 at the most would reach the liver. Now they're overfeeding on 250 grams of fructose. That's more than double than what I recommended or what I demonstrated. And what happened was that less than 10% was converted into fat. So from 250, they had one gram every hour. So that created six grams, six grams of fat over six hours from that unnatural massive bolus. So imagine if you could have absorbed 10 grams at most, how much fat are you really going to create from that small amount of fructose? But keep in mind, Fructose, when you consume it and when it reaches the liver, it's not going straight to the nova lipogenesis. Other things happen with that fructose first. First of all, it's so first of all, it's converted to glucose in the intestine itself, right? So when it comes to the liver, a massive amount of that fructose is also converted to glucose in the liver. And that glucose is then used to replenish glycogen and it also stimulates energy production. So you have an increase in lactate and it also stimulates the Krebs cycle to produce more energy. 
So you get an increase in energy, an increase in glycogen, an increase in thermic effect of food. You get a lot of benefit when you consume fructose. So of that 10 grams of fructose that is actually reaching the liver, a very small amount, 1%, is going to be converted to fat. That would be 0.1 grams of fat that's being created from that massive amount or from 10 grams, like 0.1, 0.1 grams of fat from 10 grams of fructose. And that's from two liters of fruit juice in one setting. No one consumes two liters. I shouldn't say no one. Very few people consume two cups of fruit juice in one sitting multiple times a day. <laughs> people don't consume that much fructose or fruit juice in general. Then we have a two-month high fruit versus high nut diet in 30 healthy participants resulted in a threefold increase in fructose intake in the fruit group and was not associated with a change in liver fat. So this was a good study. It was long-term, two months. Well, it wasn't long-term, but this is long-term for most studies. So two months, high fruit didn't result in change in liver fat. Long-term fructose in the diet, which is 15% of the calories in three weeks in a eucaloric diet, which means they were eating a maintenance which could be, which would have been 94 grams of fructose on a 2,500 calorie diet, did not alter fractional or absolute de novo lipogenesis in the fastest state or in response to acute fructose ingestion. So basically what it shows is that if you eat an eucaloric diet, you eat maintenance calories. And even if you consume 100 grams of fructose, it's not going to stimulate lipogenesis and create more fat. The risk of fatty liver and insulin resistance, even from consuming Pure poison, pure fructose, right? Doesn't cause any problems. Now imagine consuming fruit or fruit juice. That risk is significantly reduced because these plant compounds further improve insulin sensitivity and inhibit the novel lipogenesis. And thus we have the type of carbohydrate overfeeding, sucrose or glucose, that not significantly affect the novel lipogenesis in either subject group. So another study showing. So the thing is, I'm going to link this article for you guys. If you want to check out the studies, here you can see the R. This is my references on all of this. I've referenced everything for you guys. So you can check it out and see what's going on. Now I've shown you the studies showing that fruit juice consumption doesn't increase the risk of obesity and type 2 diabetes. And I've also shown you the mechanisms of what happens to fructose when you consume it. In the intestine, 90% is converted into glucose. In the liver, less than 1% or less than 3% basically is converted into fat. And if you think that's a concern, you're missing out on all of the benefits of consuming fruits and fructose specifically, because fructose, some, when people are obese and, and uh, diabetic, they don't have that increased thermogenic effect of food, which means they don't benefit from a boost in metabolism when they consume food. But adding fructose in the diet restores that thermic effect of glucose. So as I mentioned, fructose enhances the uptake of glucose into a cell, can help against hyperglycemia. And it enhances uh, glycogen synthesis. People that are diabetic don't have enough glycogen, so they easily get hypoglycemic. They can't regulate the blood sugar very well. And then fructose also stimulates energy production. So it stimulates synergistically with glucose, stimulates energy production so that you have more energy. And it's not like you're going to crash or anything like that. That's what insulin does. And the thing is, fructose is the least insulinogenic and it helps to control the release of insulin. So it reduces the chance for you to get hypoglycemia. Now, keep in mind also different fruits are different. You have the apple, you have grape, you have orange, you have pears. All of these fruits are different in their ratios of glucose to fructose. They have different kinds of fibers. You might be allergenic or sensitive to the pectin in apple, you know, these kind of stuff. So if you react negatively to one fruit, try another fruit. You're not going to necessarily react perfectly to all kinds of fruits. Some people do, some people don't, depending on their sensitivities. 
when I was doing a ketogenic diet and I was having fruit juice into my diet, I was getting hypoglycemic episodes. Why is that? Because orange juice is very good at lowering blood sugar. So if you're diabetic, you consume fructose or fruit juice, it can help to manage your blood sugar. So while I was on a ketogenic diet, my blood sugar was also pretty much on the low end. Having fruit juice gave me hypoglycemia and a stress reaction. That's probably not the best fruit for me to consume. A better fruit might have been an apple or a banana, a very ripe banana, with that being said. There we have it, guys. So let's talk about what's really the cause of obesity and diabetes. What really causes it? Well, the first one is overeating and inactivity. People aren't active enough and they're just overeating a bunch of junk food. And when it comes to the quality, uh, quality matters more than quantity. So you're more likely to gain fat on a low quality diet versus overeating on a high quality diet. But the thing is you can gain fat no matter the quality of your diet. If you eat too much, a surplus, you're going to gain fat. Even if it's a small surplus, it's like, well, I, this year went by, I gained five pounds. That's not a big deal. It's still five pounds. And over five years, it's going to be 25 pounds and so on. It keeps on accumulating slowly. So if you're in a surplus, weight is going to accumulate and that can eventually lead to problems, especially if you combine it with not being active. So people eat too much, they eat junk food, they don't eat the right macros, they eat a low protein diet, they have nutrient deficiencies, they eat highly refined and processed food, so they don't get the vitamins and minerals that they can benefit from. Also, they're inactive, as I've said many times, and being active really helps to improve your insulin sensitivity, especially if you are active during the day, you do exercise snacking, you're not, you know, a lot of people just sit all day and then they do the workout. That's, that's good. You know, you're, at least you're working out, but that's not the best thing to do. But you, the best thing to do is just being active throughout the whole day. You know, at least try to split up your day every 45 minutes, take a 10 minute break, walk around a little bit, do some kind of exercise, you know, jumping jacks, burpees, kettlebell swings, trampoline, mini trampoline jumping, whatever you can do, any kind of activity that's going to stimulate blood flow, it's going to make you feel good, it's going to release neurotransmitters, all of those kind of good stuff. So that's the main thing that the main two things that cause obesity and diabetes. Now let's talk about the, the, the specific macronutrients. When you overeat them, which one causes the most fat gain? So if you overeat on protein, your surplus is coming from protein, you're not going to gain any fat. Next up, we have carbohydrates. You're going to a little bit of fat, but it's not going to be that much. And then fat is you're going to gain the most amount of fat if you overeat on fat. That is what the studies show. Protein, no fat gain. Carbohydrates, a little fat gain. And if you overeat on fat, the most fat gain. But the thing is, people eat too much carbs and fat. So they create a big surplus with a lot of carbs and a lot of fat and low protein. So they're not really satiated. They overeat, gain a bunch of fat. That's bad. And then also combined with lots of polyunsaturated fat, which is even worse because it creates inflammation and typically creates type 2 diabetes. So Paul Saladino has done good work on this creating a lot of videos and articles on the harms of linoleic acid, which is a polyunsaturated fat found in vegetable oils that contributes to, you know, overeating, low satiety, inflammation, those kind of bad stuff. So in summary, can fruit juice make you fat? And my answer to that is, of course it can. If you overeat on anything, it can make you fat. But as I mentioned, protein, not going to make you fat, carbohydrates, a little bit more fat the most. So overeating on anything except protein is going to make you fat. But the thing is, if you overeat on protein, you can still gain fat. Why? Because protein is not just protein. It also contains fat. So if you overeat on protein and overeat on fat, basically, you can still gain fat. So keep that in mind. All right, guys. So if you want to learn how to eat right, how to optimize your lifestyle, what supplements to use to optimize your manlyhood, your alpha energy, get that alpha energy, high energy state, 
feel good and do the things that you want in life. You want to check out the Alpha Energy course. I will link that for you guys in the description below. And that will show you the perfect diet, lifestyle and supplement use that will help increase your testosterone, your libido, your muscle gains, cognitive function, get rid of brain fog, all of those kind of stuff. Everything that you need to get Alpha Energy uh, that is the course I've created and I'll link that for you guys in the description below. All right, guys. So if you have any questions that I might have left out, please leave that also in the comment section so I can answer that. Uh, if I wasn't clear on anything, I'll be happy to do another video uh, discussing that as well. So I hope this video was helpful and then I will check you in the next one. Cheers, guys.